Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 68, Perinatal Sleep. Hey, hey, baby, all night long. Welcome, everyone, to the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Chris Winner. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for this episode of the Sleep Unplugged podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're a veteran show, welcome back. Really excited about this week's episode. It came to me from our beloved producer, Maeve, who said, I think you should do an episode on perinatal sleep. And it just so happens that I am studying this at Columbia. So my daughter, the producer of the show, is actually a grad student in clinical psychology at Teachers College at Columbia University. And she said, could you mention my awesome professor, Dr. Venus Mahmoudi, who is teaching her course on maternal health and maternal sleep, and she's really excited about it. And I'm really excited to do this because I not only did a deep dive into the topic, but got basically all of Maeve's notes from her class. And so I want to give a big shout out to Dr. Venus Mamoudi. You can follow her on Twitter at Venben, V-E-N-B-E-N. And what might be the best Instagram handle, you can follow her at Dr. Venus. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-V-E-N-U-S. Dr. Venus, we're in awe of the work you're doing to promote the health of pregnant women all over the world. You are awesome. Thank you for being such a great instructor. So before we get going, I we do comments, corrections, criticisms, a lot of great feedback from last week's episode on insomnia pretenders. I really pre appreciate all the messages that you sent. I want to take this time to spotlight uh, a review of the podcast that I'm very excited about and very happy about. This comes from um, Treehouse Person, which is fascinating. Treehouse Person wrote, for years, I've read everything I could find on sleep and listened to numerous experts on various podcasts. Dr. Winter has helped me way more than any other. I always feel he really gets it. <laughs> you might be the only one Treehouse Person. I go on. Maybe this is because of his expertise and experience helping real people, or maybe it's because of his compassion and caring, or both. Regardless, he's a joy and a relief to listen to. I also enjoy his music trivia at the beginning of each podcast, but sometimes fast forward through it because I don't have time. I'm, I'm working on that treehouse. I'm trying to get faster about the intro. I'm sleeping much better since finding this podcast. Dr. Winter's book also has been a huge help. Treehouse person, thank you. Thank you for your honesty, and I really appreciate it. And in the spirit of moving things forward quickly, let's get on with the show. As you know, the title of the show refers to something in music, and Hey, Hey, Baby, All Night Long is from the Talking Heads song, um, uh, Stay Up Late. I always want to say All Night Long, but it's Stay Up Late. This is off their sixth album, Little Creatures. It also featured The Road to Nowhere and one of my favorite songs probably ever, but certainly one of my favorite Talking Heads songs, and it was, uh, and she was. This was the song that was the follow-up to their fifth album, Stop Making Sense, which was huge. 
had the big Brian Demi, the guy who directed Silence of the Lambs, directed the big, you know, Talking Heads sort of movie that went along with that. It was their best-selling album. The artist Howard Finster did an REM cover to did the cover art, and it was just fairly much a perfect album. And I'm a huge Talking Heads fan. I'm surprised we haven't done more of the CBGB bands on this show so far, but um the talking heads actually were a bunch of RISD art students, David Byrne and Tina Weymouth and such Harrison. And, and they formed a band. They were called the artistics or something or the artists or the artisans or something like that. But initially eventually changed our name to talking heads and actually opened for the Ramones at CBGB's in, in New York city. And we're just a fantastically influential band. I listened to, People, my daughter, Maeve's a, Maeve's a huge Talking Heads fan. In fact, she got notified one time from Spotify and said, you're one of the top listeners of Talking Heads. So we just wanted to let you know about that. So uh, for that reason, I thought we'd put a Talking Heads uh, reference here on the show, since this is a not only Maeve produced show, but really a Maeve researched and written show. So big... Uh, uh, nod to the Talking Heads, who would only make two more albums in their career. They only had eight studio albums, I think. So if you're in need of something, revisit Little Creatures. It will not disappoint. So uh, Treehouse Person, we are into the meat and potatoes of the show in about five minutes. I hope you're happy about that and everybody else who complains that I'll talk about the music too long. So let's talk about perinatal sleep. And I want to divide the talk into a couple different things. One is just basic peri perinatal sleep patterns. And, and again, we're talking about mom here, not baby. And, and the things that we see change as mother becomes pregnant and moves through pregnancy. Um, so we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about real psychological health consequences for sleep problems during that perinatal period, which I'll be perfectly honest with you, I knew some about, but in researching this and, and learning about this from Maeve and what she's learning in her psychology classes, I was sort of blown away by it. Just the, the level that this problem sort of exists out there um, in, the, in the perinatal space. And finally, we'll end with some perinatal sleep myths, which I think will be fun. We've talked about sleep myths before in other episodes. I think this dovetails ni nicely with that. So let's start off with the changes that we see in women as they progress through pregnancy. Um, so these, these are typical changes. Obviously, every woman's going to be a little bit different. But in general, the first trimester you see a pretty rapid increase in daytime sleepiness. And it's interesting because a lot of individuals, that is their presenting symptom of pregnancy, that they're just tired a lot, can't understand why they're so tired. They don't have COVID, the COVID test is negative, and lo and behold, they're actually pregnant. So that can manifest in a lot of different ways, you know, complaints of sleepiness and increased uh, desire or drive to nap. 
Um, the sleepiness can also come about through increased nocturnal awakenings. We've had that be a topic of a lot of episodes, but women in that first trimester often find that they are awakening more during the night. And as a consequence, their deep sleep and REM sleep can actually be reduced overall. So what you're getting in the first trimester is increased sleepiness from really what bo essentially boils down to a decreased sleep quality uh, in these individuals. Second trimester, that total sleep time tends to start to normalize. It's it's the calm before the storm. And I kind of remember that via the pregnancies that I was <laughs> a participant in. Um, and, and, and frankly, with Maeve, I remember Ames, my wife being quite sleepy when she was initially, you know, found out she was pregnant those early weeks and, and, and months, but sort of leveling out there in the middle. So in the, in, in that second trimester, total sleep time usually normalizes, but there's still frequent nocturnal awakenings and, and decreased sleep for, for some women, decreased deep sleep for some women. And then we move to the third trimester where things can really start to go off the rails, largely because of discomfort pain, you know, the woman's ready to go and ready to have the baby out of her. Um, getting up to go to the bathroom a lot during the night is a common problem in that third trimester as well, too. And now we're back to the sleepiness, fatigue during the day, more napping and waiting for the, the big day. So overall, within pregnancy, there is a decreased sleep quality throughout and an overall reduced sleep efficiency. And we've talked about sleep efficiency before, the amount of time you're spending in bed, the amount of time you're sleeping, and what is that percentage? If you're spending eight hours in bed and sleeping eight hours, that's 100% efficient. If you're spending eight hours in bed and sleeping four hours, you are 50% efficient. Again, we usually think about 85% efficiency as being normal, whatever that means. You're not sleeping the entire time you're there, but 85% of it. That's what we usually look at during a sleep study. So that efficiency in the pregnant woman is often reduced considerably, and they're not spending as much time in those restorative cycles of sleep. So um, why do we care? What does it matter? You get through it. And, and I think that's sort of been the attitude, isn't it? And we talk about that attitude a lot on this podcast, particularly as medicine relates to women. There is a sense that, look, pregnancy creates certain inherent problems, risks, discomforts, and things. Number two, we're not going to give you a lot of medications for these things because of fear of, of harming your, uh, your unborn child. So there's a lot of suck it up when it comes to, to pregnancy and, and, and the things that go along with it. But I think we have to be very careful with this because when you look at the sleep quality of women who are pregnant, there is a very strong predictive nature of what could happen after the pregnancy if we're paying attention to that sleep. So when you look at pregnant women in general, they often complain of poor sleep. This is going to be experienced somewhere on the order of about 63% of pregnant women are going to tell you 
that their sleep quality is is poor or they have some sort of complaint of poor sleep. I'm frankly shocked it's it's that low. I, I you know, in looking at that research, I would have expected it to be much higher. So my guess is 63% of women feel comfortable enough with their provider to have an honest moment and say, you know what, man, my sleep is not great since I've been pregnant. And the other, you know, 37 are not wanting to be a problem. They don't want to be the squeaky wheel. They want to, they don't want to be the difficult pregnant patient. I'm kidding, of course, but it, it, it is surprising to me that a third of women out there who are pregnant are not complaining of something related to their sleep that is negative. So it's Im impressive to me. But symptoms are often worse in women who already have psychiatric illness. So in a woman who's going into pregnancy, already diagnosed with depression, already diagnosed with anxiety, that number is going to be higher. So I think when we think about takeaways from this podcast, if you are a woman with psychiatric illness and you are considering pregnancy or have become pregnant, I think we probably need to pay extra careful attention to your sleep. I think if you're a provider to women who are of childbearing years who may become pregnant, I think when you have individuals that you are treating for psychiatric disorders who do become pregnant, having some conversations about, look, you may be more at risk for sleep problems. I want I want you to be, you know, transparent with me. I want to be conversational about this. If you are struggling, I want to know about it. So we're giving women sort of a door to walk through, not a wall to break through, if that makes sense. So I think that's that's a really important thing. And you know, the nature of my sleep clinic is such that I'm often dealing with uh, young women who maybe have narcolepsy. And so we're having conversations from the get-go about, hey, here's how the medications you're taking for your narcolepsy could affect your contraception. Or, you know, these medications may or may not be drugs you want to be on if you were to become pregnant. So what is your pregnancy status? What is your contraception status? So if you're planning on becoming pregnant, what would you like to do with the medications you're taking to treat your excessive sleepiness or your cataplexy? We're having these conversations way in advance. I mean, we have them with, if, if you are a woman in our clinic, and it doesn't really matter what your age is and you're on medications that can affect birth control, we're going to have that conversation. Even if you're not on birth control at this point, you may be at some point. I want you to know about these types of things. So we want to be having these conversations frequently and, and doing it in a way that we're not judging and we're just kind of inviting that conversation to happen. And if a patient doesn't feel comfortable having that conversation with me, I've got plenty of great providers who know way more than I do that I can put them in contact with that they can have that conversation if that's something that makes them feel comfortable. The patient's comfort comes first. Although I was always taught when you do a spinal tap, which is the little procedure where somebody lies down and you put the needle and you take some fluid around their spine. You're not actually putting the needle in their spinal cord, but in the fluid around the spine. Uh, I remember a doctor told me, rule number one of the spinal tap is make yourself comfortable. Rule number two is make the patient comfortable. I always thought that was funny. But I think rule number one with this is we make our patients comfortable first. And so when we start looking at the sleep of pregnant women, it's been shown that individuals, women with depression, 
have worse sleep quality than women who don't have depression. And I was looking at a 2022 study. It was called Construct of the Association Between Sleep Quality and Perinatal Depression. It basically said, look, sleep quality during pregnancy is associated with perinatal depression, a global public health problem with high prevalence. So it's moving both ways, isn't it? The, the woman who has depression, who gets pregnant, may be more likely to have sleep quality problems. Women who are pregnant and have sleep quality problems are more likely to have perinatal depression. And I'm gonna guess this, even though I'm not an expert, if you've got depression prior to a pregnancy, it is probably a risk factor for postnatal and perinatal depression. So again, all of these things really need to be looked at in the women that we have in our clinics that are being treated for sleep disorders and they're being treated for psychiatric disorders. And it's important as the pregnancy progresses that we are monitoring that sleep, not just the sleep doctor that you see once every four months, but the primary care physician, the OB, the midwife, the doula, you know, Maeve's a doula. She, you know, she's done doula type things before, you know, whoever you have that relationship with, it's really important that you're discussing sleep and that we're asking that question because aberrant sleep patterns during pregnancy are highly correlated with postpartum depression. And so what are we looking for as we monitor that sleep? Sleep's going on. We're, we're having frequent follow-ups with our patients who are pregnant. One thing we can look for is increased sleep time, which sounds great. We've talked about this in the show before. Everybody wants to fall asleep fast and never wake up during the night and sleep more because if six hours of sleep is healthy, then eight is healthier and 10 is even healthier than six and 12 is either healthy, even healthier than 10. Obviously, there is a point of diminishing returns here. So as we look at the sleep time of women who are pregnant, increased total sleep time, and, and that includes napping during the day. We're looking at sleep per 24 hours. That is highly associated with postpartum depression. So as we talked about that first trimester, there is a natural increase for more sleep. As we move from that first to the second trimester, we're gonna wanna see that level out. If that leveling out is not happening or the sleep need is growing or you're not getting out of bed during certain weekends, that's something that we want to be aware of. And the team, the doula, the OB, the primary care doctor, the psychiatric care doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, social worker, whatever, all need to be in the loop about, hey, this is happening and it's making me concerned about what could happen after the pregnancy. So everybody's ready and to be proactive about dealing with postpartum depression. The flip side is decreased sleep time. And this is much less common. This is not something that I see a lot, but obviously when you start to see a radical decrease in sleep time, that can be extremely predictive of a psychotic episode. And I would say that not only within the perinatal sleep space, but in general, I've always been a great sleeper. Suddenly, I am not sleeping a lot. And this is problematic because of reporting. We talk about insomnia all the time on this show. 
and how what a patient might report could be extremely different from what's actually happening. Remember, rules of the house of Nod, sleep reality and sleep perception are two very different things. But if we're getting reports from partners, from parents that, no, 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 she's not sleeping. She's up late. She's moving around. She's constantly messing around with things in the nursery, getting ready for the baby. Like there is a significant lack of sleep happening or, you know, fitness monitors, sleep monitors are showing that that could be a risk for some psychotic episode. And again, we've talked about bipolar before. So what are some things in an individual who's bipolar that could sort of kickstart a manic episode or even a psychotic episode? Pregnancy is a great one. Crazy changes in hormones, discomfort when you sleep, uh, difficult pregnancies, emesis, you know, not feeling well, uh, constantly urinating during the night. So this is a big, big risk factor for individuals who have bipolar mood disorder who do get pregnant. Um, this population is already at risk for psychotic episodes. This just moves them closer to that threshold. So once again, it's really all about knowing our patients, knowing their medical history, and counseling them prior to pregnancy, when they become pregnant, through the pregnancy and after the pregnancy, always being vigilant and looking out for these types of things. And there was a study in 2022 called Associations Between Insomnia and Pregnancy and Perinatal Outcomes Evidence from Mendelian Randomization and Multivariable Regression Analyses. And basically in this, it showed that there were possible causal relationships between genetically predicted insomnia, miscarriages, perinatal depression, and having children with low birth, birth weight, you know, all, all big problems within that peri, uh, that, that pregnancy and, and, and perinatal space, uh, which I, again, I'm not in. Um, the study also found an observational evidence in support of an association between insomnia and pregnancy and perinatal depression um, with no clear multivariable evidence of an association with low birth weight. So we have to be very careful with these patients. And there's a huge body of evidence that's showing just how important sleep is and how predictive sleep behaviors can be. So I want to end this episode with talking about perinatal sleep myths which I think are always important because everybody's giving advice, right? You're not get, you may not be getting the care and the follow-up you need medically, but everybody you know that sees that little bump under, on your stomach is going to give you all kinds of advice. And generally, the one that I hear a lot is, okay, so when the baby sleeps, you better sleep. I always called it guerrilla sleep, like guerrilla warfare. Like it's you in sort of combat against your baby. And, you know, so the baby's trying to keep you up at night. And when the baby takes a nap during the day, you get that sleep when you can until the baby starts to level out and, and organize its schedule, become more predictive. And then now you can get your sleep in a more predictive way. But, you know, until then, just grab it when you can. And I think that we have to be careful with that because that evidence that 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 kind of conversation prior to pregnancy can make people really nervous. I mean, there are mothers and fathers and parents and partners all over the place who have had children 
that were like, yeah, they slept pretty well. They got on a pretty predictable napping schedule and we slept okay. I mean, it's not everybody goes through some sort of nightmare scenario with their child who quote unquote doesn't sleep. So I don't think it's helping anyone to make new parents, first time parents nervous that it's going to be terrible. You got to get sleep when you can. Because now we're back to that performative sleep, right? Okay, everybody, go to bed now or terrible things will happen. That, that's not the way to sleep. We, 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 we can't control it that way. So I always talk about sleep as being sort of a, it's a performance. It's, a, it's, 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 it's going out on stage and singing a song. It's, it's, it's got that nature to it that as you start to create anxiety about the situation, it makes that performance anxiety difficult. Hey, take a nap if you want to. There's no consequence. We're just hanging out at a beach house for the next few weeks. That's easy. Sleep now because if you don't, your child's going to wake up and you're never going to get sleep. That that I think that's really, really problematic. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're telling people in that perinatal period, in the postnatal period, that sleep's going to happen. I mean, you're, you're going to be able to sleep. Your baby's going to give you time to sleep. You, the, the, there will be opportunities to do it. And if you lie down when your baby's sleeping and you don't fall asleep, but you rest during that time, when the baby wakes up, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. So I, I think the other problem with telling people, hey, you better sleep now or there's going to be a problem is that for some people, depending on the child and the circumstances and the partners and the help you've got, it might be psychologically more helpful for that patient when the baby's sleeping from the actually clean up, uh, make a meal, clean the kitchen, do some work that you were doing prior to the, you know, whatever job you have, answer some emails, watch an episode of Succession or whatever show you've been watching. Love is blind. You know, when I watch something just completely mindless and silly. And it, it, these are all fine things. So I think that we, we can't put people in one sort of box that we all need different things when we have those quiet times. And so doing these types of things can be very helpful to provide that individual a sense of, I still have worth beyond this child to myself, to the family, to the world in general. I'm not just baby feeder caretaker, which is an important job and a job that I think a lot of people feel a real sense of accomplishment having, but not everyone. <laughs> That's not you entirely. We are way more than our reproductive abilities, I think. So I think always giving that message to individuals is extremely important. I think that we also need to think about the postpartum period intrinsically changing the patterns of sleep, how much sleep people are getting, the quality that they're getting, um, the, the way the schedule sort of breaks down. Are you getting it all in one block? Are you getting it in little, little spurts? Um, 
talking about, you know, feelings of being tired, both sleepy, like we've talked about before, and being fatigued. Um, I, I think all of these things, you know, the hormonal changes that are happening in this period can be devastatingly negative when it comes to individual sleep. So I think it's always really important to be following these individuals after pregnancy, even if the baby's sleeping well, because mother is going through a lot of changes during this time, they're going to radically impact her sleep. So communicating about that, reassuring patients about that, and helping them find ways to sort of reconstruct not only their sleep, but also their mental health back to where it was previously, I think is really important. And, and learning more about perinatal sleep and the, the interplay it has with our you know, psychology is, is extremely important. So I really wanted to focus on that today. Give a shout out to everyone out there who's been in this experience before. And um, if you have feedback, questions, comments, I'm sure everybody has got all kinds of interesting things and, and thoughts about this. Uh, I'd love to hear about it. So you can find me, Dr. Chris Winter, Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter, TikTok, Blue Sky Threads, all Dr. Chris Winter. You can also find our videos on the YouTube Sleep Unplugged channel. My book's The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken and How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help, which is a book about kids from the time they're born until they head off to college, but really doesn't touch that much upon the mother's sleep, um, probably not as much as it should. So learning all the time, really appreciate uh, Maeve for putting this episode together want to give another big thank you and shout out to Venus Mahmoudi, Dr. Venus Mahmoudi. Please follow her at Dr. Venus on Instagram, Venben, V-E-N-B-E-N -E -E on Twitter, and all the amazing work she's doing for perinatal health around the world and through Columbia University. That's it. Uh, I hope to see you all listen, uh, I hope to join you all next week for another episode of the Sleep Unplugged podcast. Until that time, sleep well.